Yeah. 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 Same. Listening to Texas 1031. Uh, we are a true crime podcast, particularly pertaining to crimes committed in the great state of Texas. Uh, in case this is your first time listening, 1031 is actually a police code for crime in progress, and it's also Halloween because it's always Halloween at Texas 1031, <laughs> always. Um, but we're your hosts, Cassie and Hannah. Yay! Um, every week we'll have two murders to discuss. This week we have one in Galveston and the other is going to be in Teleco. If you guys have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, please email us at texas1031podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at texas1031podcast. And last but not least, don't forget about our website, texas1031podcast.com, for all the information I literally just listed. Remember, no dashes, no spaces, no capitalizations or numbers, just all spelled out. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Even if you're not a fan, any bit of commentary, feedback, input, whatever, totally helps us out. Thank you guys so much for listening and participating. And And we hope you enjoy our new episode, episode six. Hey guys, we wanted to show some fellow podcast support to some ladies with foreign accents that we're completely unqualified to assume the country of origin for. They have a really cool song and message to give about true crime, so go check them out right now at True Crime Storytime on iTunes. I'm Casey. And I'm Samantha. And we're the hosts of True Crime Storytime, a podcast for all things true crime. We will be bringing you fortnightly episodes covering everything from murder and mysteries, disappearances, theft and fraud, abductions and kidnappings, and more importantly, trying to take a lesson away from each case because every story has a message. guys so a few things before we get started into episode six. First of all I wanted to mention that we are on Stitcher now so if you guys don't want to use iTunes or SoundCloud if you prefer the podcast hosting application slash website Stitcher uh, look us up it's Texas number 10-31. I know kind of confusing seeing as how we're the total opposite with the majority of our other stuff but it is what it is. Uh, secondly, I guess I wanted to apologize for all of our microphone and sound issues. I know it's muffled. I know it sounds echoey and far away. We're working on it. Um, yeah, that's a, that. That's all I can say. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then another thing I wanted to mention was that I actually misspoke on the last episode. Mm. I had recommended the Halloween Lollerie Mansion thing, and I think I said... Uh, the podcast name was And This Is Why We Drink, but it's actually And That's Why We Drink. In case anybody... Minor. Okay. In okay. case anyone tried to look it up and was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, and you couldn't find the correct episode or podcast, whatever. Yeah. I don't know if Cassie watched it, but I watched the first two episodes of The Eleven, the show that we mentioned last week. Um, it was pretty good. Um, a little hokey-ish in the editing of it, but hmm. overall it wasn't that bad. Um, <laughs> I literally wrote in here, if my mother can follow along, then you know it's not too bad. Because my mom has this weird issue of not being able to um, figure out when shows are heavily dramatized. She doesn't know who the, the real person is versus the uh, actor. I feel that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a personal problem. It is. (laughs) Um, Okay. Anyway. Um, So yeah, the show's good. If you guys want to go watch it, it's on Thursdays on A&E. It's about girls getting killed in Galveston, ironically, Mm. um, in the 70s. It's really good. Um, Also, we updated the website. The links to our social media and uh, podcast hosting spots are literally on every page now. There's like a little 
social media bar. Um, and then our Instagram is actually like a live feed type thing on the website too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like so that. it's not anything crazy advanced or whatever, but it looks better and it's an automatic click away. Woohoo. Um, and then, yeah, sorry about the, the mishap on the recording of last week. Actually, you know what? I'm going to blame it on my mother because she interrupted and my dog interrupted. And it was just, you know, when you're supposed to... Never mind. It doesn't matter. Whole Two whole bottles of wine we had. Yeah. It, this is a semi-sober podcast now. Okay, so this week I uh, finally have a case that is not in Houston. Yay! <laughs> Caught for Hannah. I was stuck in a rut. I'm sorry. And I was looking up some stuff on Murderpedia, and I found a um, YouTube link to a Forensic Files episode about one of the guys that I had found on Murderpedia. So a good chunk of this information came from that episode, and I think I mentioned that last week. If you guys listened, I described my relatively like plausible theory um, <laughs> about people's names who are featured on the show. Pretty exciting stuff. If you want to go back and listen, I will always recommend it. Um, anyway, so mid through, midway through watching this Forensic Files episode, I realized that I had actually seen it before, but it was just kind of like on in the background as like noise, and mm-hmm. I was going in and out of the plot, sort of. So I was excited that I had found this case and kind of like full circle made it back and turned it into an episode, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so I'm just going to dive right into this murder because there's kind of a good amount of stuff that needs to be talked about. I'm excited. Woo-hoo. Um, So I'm just going to lay it out immediately. Um, The killer is Jason Massey. He was just about 20 years old when he took the lives of 14-year-old Brian King and Brian's stepsister, 13-year-old Christina Benjamin. Mm -hmm. It was the summer of 1993 in Ellis County, Texas, specifically in the town of Teleco, which which holds um, Waxahachie, Ennis, Palmer... kind of all those cities that surround that area it's only about like 45 minutes to an hour outside of Dallas Um, if you believe in the whole Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff this is kind of where it was believed and rumored to have taken place in that area okay so anyway Christina one of the victims she would be found shot in the back she was decapitated while also being physically and sexually mutilated Mm. along with her head her hands were also removed and were never recovered Her torso was covered in odd cuts and slashes, which exposed her internal organs. Her nipples had also been removed, but surprisingly, there was no sign of sexual assault, vaginally or anally. Are you? Okay. (laughs) During the trial, uh, prosecuting attorneys would describe, quote, very long, delicate, and intricate carvings on her torso and genitals. Um, Brian would be found underneath a bridge not too far from Christina and was shot twice in the back of the head. Why so much mutilation? Okay. Nope. Yep, yep, yep. You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. As always. (laughs) So, identification of Brian didn't take that long. They were able to retrieve Brian's wallet from his back pocket, and although it didn't contain a photo, they would eventually be able to identify him through his library card that had his signature on it, and it was brought to his parents when they did um, kind of the notifying next of kin sort of situation and questioning them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his parents were questioned and that's where, um, they confirmed, you know, it was Brian. And then his father said that the girl could have been his niece, Christina, but he wasn't sure due to her condition. He tells detectives that he recalled his son getting into a brown slash tan car the night before and leaving the house without word. He said that he didn't notice Christina leaving, but when nobody can find her the next day, he assumed she perhaps had maybe gone with Brian or just kind of disappeared. All right, so Christina's identification uh, was a bit more difficult. Her identity was finally confirmed by hair samples taken from her hairbrush and compared to hair found on the barbed wire near the crime scene. Um, This was kind of a cool part in the episode. They actually show the x-ray that they used uh, of her foot. She had like a broken foot and they compared it to the victim's foot and that's how they were able to tell that it was probably her. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Wait, what about dental records? Were her teeth gone? Her head was gone. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, oh. <laughs> she was decapitated. Baby. Yeah, I know. Mm. Uh, so during the investigation, a hair that didn't match either Brian nor Christina was found on Brian's clothing, as well as some random fibers that had clung onto Brian's shoe. He linked the fiber to fibers normally found in Japanese cars, specifically tan. Um, okay, anyways, the Dallas medical examiner of the time was Dr. Sheila Spotswood. Spotswood. Come on. Forensic files? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> she claims that she has never she had never seen the amount of mutilation on a body post mortem up to that point. So this kind of speaks for itself. She wasn't like the Teleco Emmy because I mean I don't think they could probably afford one. It was such a small town, so they probably defaulted to Dallas. Mm-hmm. So if she deals with like big city Dallas and hasn't seen anything that bad during her time, I feel like again that was probably uh, a pretty brutal crime that yeah. she witnessed. Yeah. Um, so a reporter said, or excuse me, a report says that a profiler would suggest that because of the overall or overkill and anger shown on Christina's murder, that he most likely knew her in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of funny that the psychology of killers is so similar. And it's yeah, they yeah. can get it down to yeah. an exact like this is that person when yeah. they finally find the person. Well, it's just it's like, like a they're common, so predictable. Yeah, so and it's like I don't know patternistic. Why don't, if that's a word, <laughs> no. <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny. It's like get more original, characters. right? Come on now. Well, that the, I, that just shows more than anything to me that they are like outside of their right mind, and mm-hmm. that's just this common fucking like crazy factor. I don't know. Like there's or maybe it just shows how dumb they are and how smart sane people are. Because they can figure it out. That's true. If you want to flip it. I like I flipping know. it because mine kind of was going somewhere, but no, not... No, no, no. It, it went somewhere because it's true. There was a more eloquent way of saying it, and I was not going to get there. Patternistic. <laughs> okay, so the F, uh, they consult the FBI in the case, and they immediately say that this wasn't a sexual crime. Yes, a lot of cases when victims are nude are due to rape or some type of sexual crime, but it also could just be for access to the rest of the body or for embarrassing the victim, or leaving them out there to suffer in the elements. Yeah. Um, or maybe just to throw off the case, you know what I mean? Right. So it couldn't, it may not always be on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I feel like it, for in her case, it was more about humiliation, and more about like him just wanting to have her, and like have full view and contact with her body. Okay, so we'll get into the investigation. So the police get an anonymous phone call saying that they need to look into a man named Jason Massey. Um, Supposedly, the police had received a phone call about an innocent little baby calf found mutilated and beaten behind a local restaurant just a couple days before Brian and Christina were found. I know. Uh, At the scene, they towed a tan car that was possibly connected to the death of the calf and also collected a bracelet that said Jason on it. Come the fuck on. Uh, He is soon identified as Jason Eric Massey. So far, at this point, they just believe that he is the perpetrator of the animal cruelty, and they so they tow his car, and they don't have him for the murders yet. They don't even really connect him to the murders, so this is just kind of by happenstance. I'm going to try and use that in every episode. Happenstance. Happenstance. I think absolutely was the word of the day in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a little bit about Jason. Uh, Jason had a typical serial killer childhood full of red flags, Okay. Uh, This is, I didn't find this out until like last minute research on this, so I'm glad I did. So his mother was a total piece of shit. A report I found said that she would leave him in the car while she was out at the bar all night. I never really got her age, but clearly she was not all there, regardless of her age. Um, When his mom had her second child, she would leave them with a male babysitter. And when he was about five or six, he was sexually molested by this guy. Big surprise. And not to, like, shame any, like, male nannies or male babysitters because that kind of is honestly kind of being sexist to myself, making it seem like only women are able to be caregivers. Oh, yeah, that was absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I was being super sexist as well. (laughs) But certain people definitely kind of fucked it up for you guys. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, like, getting offended about sexism versus, like, the very real thing of molestation, so, you know. Yeah. Everybody sucks. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The same report said that the kids were often bruised, hungry, and impoverished. Their mom would hide food in her bedroom and go to sleep. If she found the children sneaking in her room for something to eat, she'd beat them. They would go to school unwashed and underfed. They would end up living in their mother's car for a time and move around constantly. This uh, obviously kind of forced Jason to likely never really grasp concepts of social skills and basic friendship slash relationships. Um, from what I read, he did, uh, he actually did have a good bond with his siblings, but his mother and his, any, like, sort of father figure really ruined his perception of adult relationships, Mm. whether it be professional, casual, romantic, whatever. Um, so this is when it kind of starts getting good. 
So by nine, he started going from being the victim to victimizer. He would end up restraining a uh, younger boy and whipping him with a tree branch. Not great nine-year-old behavior. What the hell? Yeah. And then shortly afterwards, he began a new obsession that would carry out through his teenage years, all the way up to murdering Brian and Christina, which was animal cruelty. And we'll do more on that later. Yep, I wrote yeah. down classic escalation, yeah. question mark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as he got older, his view on women and sexual experiences was kind of overshadowed with his desire to kill and mutilate. I think that his mother obviously played a large role in this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, but he also <laughs> he also believed in demons and that things of this nature were talking to him. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll immediately follow that up with he also abused alcohol and drugs. So, <sighs> maybe an explanation. I don't know. Big old yeah. cake full of... Cake? Yeah, I'm trying to think cake of... Cake full of crazy... A crazy cake. There he you was go. eating crazy cake. There yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, so back to the investigation. Search warrants were granted to the police, and they were able to get his DNA, and they also impounded his car, which was uh, a tan Subaru. Mm-hmm. It came back with multiple blood stains inside. They also found a roll of duct tape, a hammer, but no gun. They found a receipt for 22 caliber ammunition, a hunting knife, handcuffs, and newspaper clippings about the murders at his home. Well, yep. Okay. <laughs> uh, during this time, the police get another phone call saying that they saw Jason washing his car a short time after the murders uh, at this like certain car wash in town. Okay. Um, this in the episode was like the coolest moment, well, not the coolest, but one of the coolest moments for me because they emptied out the vacuum container. Whoa. Yeah, super smart, right? Yeah, good police work. Right? Um, and they emptied it out. It was from the, ga- or the uh, gas station car wash. <laughs> and um, inside they found multiple hair fibers as well as the business card that belonged to his effing probation officer. Wow. Yeah, yeah so from his probation officer. Um, to confirm that the hairs and the blood from the car could be linked back to Christina or Brian, they basically did what is called a reverse paternity genotyping um, to come up with a DNA match because I guess the victim's bodies had been uh, decomposed uh, too much for analysis. Luckily, in this case, all the tests came back positive, so evidence was found that it would it, mm-hmm. everything belonged to Christina or Brian. Uh, another awesome part of the investigation was when... They bring in the forensic entomologist. Ooh. Yay, the bug guy. Ooh, yeah. why? I know. Ooh, okay. tell me why, yeah. tell me why. Okay, and I'll post pictures on this. They're kind of graphic, but it's not that bad. Um, so he was able to give a fairly accurate time of death due to the maggot larvae <gasps> on the bodies. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so he was given maggots taken from the crime scene, and he actually bred larvae from those that he was given, and basically he incubated them in the same conditions when uh, the flies laid their eggs and wit- and then, like, hatched them and then grew them to their appropriate size that were found on the victims. So, like, all the weather, uh, the environment, like, everything that they, the kids would have been found, like, weather and environment-wise, he, like, recreated for these flies to, like, reproduce. That's so cool. Right? Really That's cool. That's very yeah. cool. Um, oh, so, sweet. after the test is completed, it was officially confirmed that Brian and Christina were killed two days before they were found. Mm. Yeah. So, that's pretty much it on the investigation wise but we'll go into more stuff but um on march 1st 1994 he's indicted for the murders of brian and christina okay so we'll go into the trial so finally in october of 1994 he went to trial but the state claims that the two victims brian and christina both got into his car voluntarily and that the murders were actually premeditated so as soon as he got to his destination out by the bridge, he shot Brian in the car and then turns his focus on to Christina. So like, I don't know, it, again, he didn't really admit to anything with Brian and I kind of feel really bad for Brian, honestly, because I feel like he gets forgotten about in this whole thing. Right. Because like, besides getting shot, like nothing actually happens to him, like right. furthermore. Yeah. And I feel like he was a victim of circumstance in a yep. certain situation. I don't know. Um, so... The poor girl, she gets out of the car and tries to run away. Unfortunately, though, as we know, she got shot in the back, but it actually wasn't fatal. Uh, She was then shot in the head and then also stabbed before her decapitating, dismembering, and mutilating of her body. Um, Although Jason will claim later that she was dead before the disfiguring and dismemberment began, it's still kind of heartbreaking to me to think that she could have been alive and suffering through even, like, a minor moment of that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, however, forensic analysts can't really confirm, but do believe that she had been dead before it began. No motive was truly found until they found a trunk in the woods. Always a good sign, you guys. Mm. Oh, please don't be where the head is. No, no, no. Heads, okay. but not head. What? Yeah. Uh, okay. Plural, not singular. So during the trial, a man was walking in the woods. He found a cooler slash trunk full of over 30 heads of decapitated animals. And this is the best part. Not really, but, like, so great, because it just shows the sheer idiocracy of this guy. Uh, it also contained at least four volumes of journals of his true inner feelings. Oh, God. <laughs> they <crime>. were called... <laughs> mm. Yeah. They were called, quote, Slayer's Book of Death. What a fucking loser. He even spelled Slayer, like, how the band does, like, on their logo. <laughs> Okay, so these journals, this is kind of the bad stuff. So it would contain some of the craziest stuff that the town would ever probably read. He wrote about his murder fantasies, and in his entries, um, they became more detailed and self-indulgent. He said that rape wasn't enough. He wanted a corpse to hold, to talk to, and to make love to. He was obviously moving into the necrophilia world. Yeah. Um, over the analysis of his personal journals... Investigators and lawyers would find he killed at least eight cows, 30 dogs, 39 cats, right? Uh, these numbers vary from each report, so don't quote me on it, but he stated he cut off their heads and kept them as trophies. In one of the journal entries, he says, I found a little girl and I love her. I've decided to kill her, but I don't know when. Okay, so as defense to uh, their desire to convict him with the death penalty, the state reiterates that his journals depicted evidence of multiple murders over and over again, and then further analysis of his journals said that he claimed his biggest aspiration to was to be one of the biggest slash most well-known serial killers in America. We'll get to this maybe at some point in the theories part, but like, he probably just wanted to be somebody and someone yeah. that someone cared about. And it I thought that's definitely kind of misdirected a, and misguided ambition. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And that sounds like I'm pitying him, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I don't know how I would turn out if I was in his position growing up. On the uh, episode, I took a screenshot of the like picture that they post on YouTube and it's of his journal. And um, there's a bunch of different pages that they actually show, but it says, quote, 700 people over the next 20 years. Um, basically that was one of the sentences that he had written down of like how many people he wanted to kill. He uh, also kept count of how many months it would take to kill a thousand people, things like that. Um, of course, he admired the greats uh, that came before him, Charles Manson, Ted Bundy, Henry Lee Lucas, who evidently uh, he supposedly was in prison at the same time as Henry Lee Lucas and they kind of like had a friendshipy kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. No. Super great, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, one part, this is kind of rough, but I um, I didn't know where else to slip this in. Uh, I, I couldn't really figure out where else to put it, so I just put it here. Uh, I read in one article that uh, rape actually did occur, and then in other articles it states that it didn't. So I didn't want to leave that out, um, but the reason I say this is because the FBI profiler said that it wasn't a sexually motivated crime but then I read that there were rumors of him later confessing to having sex with her decapitated head after removing it from her torso uh, I know that sounds gruesome but it made me wonder if in fact this case could you know still be classified without sexual motivation I didn't know if anybody had an opinion on that uh, one report said that his mother actually found these journals at one point and uh, had committed him into a medical facility but was released shortly after. Uh, probably why he kept that shit out in the woods ever since. Wow. Right? Um, at the trial, an acquaintance of Jason named Christopher Nolan testified that he introduced Jason to Christina and that they flirted and discussed, quote, sneaking out at night sometime so he could take her on a date. Um, Christopher said that Jason told him he had planned to sexually abuse Christina, mutilate her with a knife, and kill her. But he didn't pay much attention to this because, quote, Masty talked about killing girls all the time. Like, all the red flags. Every color of flag. Like, mm. no. <laughs> uh, jury deliberation took about 15 minutes uh, to decide on sentencing. They came back with the death sentence, and this is a really, really good quote. The judge said... I sentence you to death by lethal injection, and the only injustice in this court today will be that your death will be so much more humane than that of your victims. So I thought that was nice. I like, I like yeah, that judge. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
his attempts to file, <laughs> I found a website that literally listed out all of the interactions with courts ever since he was put in jail, and it was just hilarious because it was like 1996, yeah, he was executed on April 3rd, 2001, and I'll tell you his last meal. Yes. <laughs> uh, three fried chicken quarters, um, <clears throat> fried squash, fried eggplant, lots of fried shit, mashed potatoes, snap peas, boiled cabbage, three corn on the cob, spinach, broccoli with cheese, one pint of caramel pecan fudge ice cream, and a pitcher of sweet tea. Um, his last statement, <clears throat> sorry, quote, Yes. First, I'd like to speak to the victim's family. First of all, I don't know any of y'all, and that's unfortunate because I'd like to apologize to each and every one of you individually. I can't imagine what I've taken from y'all, but I do want to apologize for what I did. I want you to know that I uh, that it was only I who committed the murders. No one else was involved. Christina felt no pain. The things done to her occurred after death. Her head and hands I threw into the Trinity River. I didn't rape or torture her. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I admit my guilt and I ask for your forgiveness. I pray you will forgive me. If not now, then in the future. May God be with you and keep you through this. Signed, quote, his servant, Jason Eric Massey. The grandmother of uh, Christina claims during his injection he kept, kept mouthing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, you know, kind of, before we go into questions and theories, I'll end it with this. Uh, to me, one of the worst parts about this story is that just about 50 days or so before the murders, uh, he had been arrested for a DUI, and he was supposed to spend 120 days in jail, but was released early. So this crime yeah. potentially may or may not have even happened. Yep. Knowing him, it, it might would probably have. Yeah, would have, maybe not to just those saying. kids. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so questions and theories, our part, whatever. Mm, do you want to go first? Do you want me to interject? Um, I'll go real quick because I really don't have quick. that much. Yeah. Um, it's more of just like statements. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because clearly, you know, he did it. But, and like the possibility of being someone else is really unfathomable. But I'm going to be a jerk and speculate. <laughs> so I feel that if the evidence had been presented better from the defense's side, that honestly they could have made everything kind of come across as circumstantial and make it like he was being falsely accused i think that if we wanted to go that route right. if his defense was ballsy enough there are just some things you could spin in your favor like most of the people claim that they were all friends and that they had met before and that they maybe had been in his car before so the hair and the whatever it was all there from prior and the fibers on his shoe because he had been in the car before you know right. The type of car is a bit general. I know they said that when they analyzed, you know, everything, it was came back as tan, Japanese, and that's where the majority of the fibers came from. But is that 100% accurate? Because sometimes all you need is, like, size and color of car to present a reasonable doubt. So I think that if they maybe hired someone to come in and be like, no, you could get tan fibers from this American car and this German car and this whatever. That could have been could thrown have, out as right. circumstantial. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, did they narrow down the car spec with everyone in town and even consider anyone else? Just because, I mean, they initially, uh, not arrested, but I guess they initially started looking into him because of the animal cruelty at that restaurant. Right. Maybe they wouldn't have looked into anybody else, I don't know, but I just thought that was interesting. They immediately kind of beamed in on him. Um, also, it's not a crime to buy bullets, nor is it a crime to have duct tape or a knife in your car. Does it look bad in the situation? Yep. Absolutely. That was just my kind of uh, theory about if it had gone the other way, if he had been convicted any differently, but obviously it didn't. Um, the last thing I want to say is that did anyone else think that the cops had the luckiest streak of anonymous phone calls? I don't know if it's just like the most observant town or the snitchiest town, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it kind of shows you, at least if they, I don't know for certain if they put this out on TV or media, obviously they put it in the newspapers, mm -hmm. but it kind of shows you that media outreach does actually reach people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's really all my questions and theories, because I feel like it was pretty upfront. Right, but yeah. But what do you think? Why, in, definitely for this case, but also in a lot of other cases, sometimes, a lot of times you see an escalation in what they're getting arrested for, mm -hmm. what's being reported, what teachers notice, what their family notices. And it's like, why does this escalation 
whether it be over 20 years or a very short period of time, why isn't it paid more attention to? No one takes notice. Yeah. So if you, if someone at some point, like, even if you're young enough to still be in school and you tell your school counselor, like, hey, Jason talks about hurting women all the time and, like, blah, blah, blah. That's noted. That's written in his, like, so that's, you know, one, another step of escalation. Like, he's talking about it openly with other people. It's like, I feel like so much could be, and I know police, like, everyone has so much going on all the time, so you can't just focus all your energy on one person who may or may not crest over into murderer, but so many times you see a pattern of escalation. It's just, it makes, it really sucks that that can't be more looked into. Like, well, and it's dumb because it's like, the mom tried to maybe step in. Yeah. And you know, put him in this facility. Mm-hmm. But then he was released. And it's right. like, what does it take for people to be like, no, you know, you need help. You need right. to be looked after. This isn't mm-hmm. normal. Yeah, and, and you can't lock someone away forever because people have rights. But it's also like, <sighs> man. But I think trauma, <laughs> trauma can totally rewire your brain. So his crimes were sick, sick and sadistically, like, sexually motivated, like, not in a traditional way. Right. Yes, yeah. But since Jason, I think since he didn't, like, either mutilate her, um, rape her body while she was still alive, rape her in a traditional, traditional sense. Way. yeah. And if, since he didn't, um, I don't know, since it, like, you, you're removing a head from a body, you're completely dehumanizing mm-hmm. that, I don't believe, that's how I can say, yeah, that probably wasn't sexually charged. That mm-hmm. was a, you know, he decapitated the head because that was his M.O. Right. Because that was his fantasy. Yeah. But it wasn't his fantasy because rape wasn't about sex to him. It seemed like it was about dominance over mm-hmm. a female. Right. Which is why her cousin only got you know, shot, shot instead of mutilated instead of because he had this hatred towards women if he was going to mm-hmm. crest over into humans. That's my thoughts on it, I guess. Jason Massey, piece of shit, Teleco, Texaco, Teleco, Texas. Texaco, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so we can go ahead and segue into Cassie's murder, if you want to tell me about yours. Yes. Um, I, I found again this week that I had an issue with choosing crimes and murders that have a lot of information about them or, you know, anything. And I, I, I actually really think it's because I form an attachment to one victim or the victim or you know and I'm just like you know what I'm into this I want to tell their story a little bit so that's kind of going to be more what this is um this is the story of Bridget Guerin oh I just feel so much for her and this didn't happen very long ago which sucks um but Bridget was born uh August 17th 1978 um she you know like I said, there was not a lot of information. This is still very fresh, very new, so it's not like there's going to be a Wikipedia page about her life. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Uh, it matters. Her, oh my god, her life matters, but it's not like we're talking about a serial killer who had a screwed up background. So she was 28 at the time of her death. Um, she lived in Orange County. Um, she was kind of in the Beaumont area. She was only five feet three inches um and weighed 110 pounds so she's teeny itty bitty itty bitty um she had brown hair and blue eyes we'll put a picture of her on the instagram she's so pretty she looks so sweet um she had a two-year-old daughter uh, named kira um kira's a pretty little blonde girl with blue eyes um and she was a legal assistant and again she lived in beaumont she didn't get a lot of time to herself. Um, she was always working, you know, very busy as a legal assistant, very busy raising her two-year-old daughter. The father was in the picture, but, you know, if you're a mom in any capacity, you're busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also cared for her elderly grandfather. So she was, by all accounts, a very caring, sweet, bubbly person um, who was also very cautious and very... Um, kind of aware of her surroundings and aware of her safety and everything. Um, so on the weekend of July 14th, 2007, so this is 10 years ago now, um, she decides to go with some of her co-workers from the legal firm to Crystal Beach, which is on the Bolivar Peninsula in Galveston, on Galveston Island. 
Um, they're going to go, they have a beach house rented out. They're just going to have a nice fun weekend off together. She brings her two-year-old daughter with her and they're hanging out on the beach having a good time. Um, on the night of July 14th, which was a Saturday, she and a couple of the friends that she's with decide that they're going to go on a midnight drive down the beach where they, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Midnight drive down the beach. Um, they're staying at a cabin at a, at a beach house. Um, there are other beach houses around them. It's a populated area. So they decide that they're all going to go on a, a short drive down the beach. They're going to stop somewhere and they're going to gaze up at the stars and listen to the surf roll in. Um, a couple of the friends decide they want to stay behind. And so that's who stays with her daughter, Kira. Hmm. She walks out of the beach house a couple of minutes before her friends. They recall hearing the gate swing closed, and then that's the last that she was ever known to be alive by then. them. Um, witnesses on the beach, um, younger kids that were kind of around a bonfire, they were at the beach with their family, because it sounded suspicious to me at first, but I literally read a couple of sentences, and I was like, okay, they're literally just young kids with their family. Um, they recalled seeing her, seeing someone, you know, just kind of walking away from the beach house along the beach a little bit. My guess is she was just kind of, you know, her friends are coming out, they're yeah. grabbing their stuff, she's strolling a little bit. Um, a dark-colored SUV rolls up beside her. Um, this obstructs their view, the witnesses their view from uh Bridget but they can still see her feet um words are spoken um an altercation maybe is had and she ultimately instead of walking back towards her beach house she just continues walking on you know kind of like yeah haha leave me alone she keeps walking a little bit um it's said that the SUV stalled for a moment it waited and then it pulled up right beside her again um, another altercation was had. Uh, a scream was heard, and she was pulled into the car. Witnesses, of course, aren't sure if she was coerced into the car, went willingly, or was forced. Um, it is believed that she was forced. The SUV goes speeding down the beach, and that's the last that she's ever remotely seen alive. So her friends come out of the beach house. Um, these ladies did the complete right thing. Um, they left the beach house they saw that she was gone they know her to be a very cautious person they knew that even if she had met people beforehand she would not willingly get in their car so they were immediately worried and they called galveston county sheriff's office um sheriffs arrive yeah it's kind of fuzzy what happens during this time um but at 6 a.m a couple of hikers that were camping along the beach they actually they were paramedics you know happenstance they come up on Bridget's mutilated body um she's left pretty close to the water not too far away from the beach house so that leads me to believe that they kind of just you know reported like hey our friend we can't find our friend our friend's missing like let the cops know and there wasn't a search because she was a grown woman and you know Mm -hmm. no foul play was to be expected at this point um She is nude from the waist down. Um, She's only wearing her halter top. She appeared to have been beaten savagely with a blunt object. That object was never found. Um, She was also brutally raped, and her exact cause of death was strangulation. Um, Police believe that she endured um, this sort of torture for at least two hours, um, especially the brutal rape. What? Yeah. At least two hours. Um, so my thought is that they... Multiple people. Oh, exactly. That's it. Police think it's at least four males um, in their 20s. Mm. Um, my thought is that they beat her to maybe muff, stop her from screaming, muffle her screams, they continue to sexually assault her for the next couple hours, and then ultimately killed her by strangulation um, and left her just by the water. After this is found by the two hikers, police are called, and Officer, I wrote his name down, Officer Hansen, um, he said that in his 30 years, his name is Tommy Hansen, he's a Galveston County Sheriff's Office investigator, he said that in his 30 years of, you know, his line of work, this is the most brutal scene, one of the most brutal scenes he's ever come up on. 
So the beach house was on Mar- Monk House Road, which I'm definitely going to look up. I have mm-hmm. not had time to until now, so we're definitely going to look that up. But um, Joni Denea, which is a Crystal Beach resident, um, she has a home right near where their rental house was, said, During the holidays, it's a bit rowdy, but it's really unusual for someone to get murdered. So this community was completely shaken by this. Um, she... La, 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 la. <laughs> They're... Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go keep going with the community. Um, business owners, local business owners around Crystal Beach, in that area, raised $15,000 in reward money for wow. any sort of information. Yeah. Police, um, the day after the murder was found... Um, Galveston Bloodhounds, Sheriff's Mounted Posse, and Texas EquiSearch combed miles of the beach. Dang, that's a big deal. It, Texas EquiSearch is like, kind of, not necessarily hard to get, but like, they, they help out everywhere. Internationally, yeah. yeah. And, you know, fun fact, the founder of yeah. EquiSearch, he his was daughter. distraught over his daughter. Yeah, yeah victim of the killing uh-huh. fields. Um, so they combed miles of the beach looking for any sort of evidence. Her undergarments and her shorts were not found. Well, there was a brutal... It was said by police officers that there was indications of vicious fight. So they had a lot of DNA evidence left oh, on her body. Um, so she, her. she put a fucking fight, yeah. Um, the Equisearch, you know, the Galveston Bloodhounds, the sheriffs, I don't know, they combed miles of the beach and they returned the following weekend as well. Um, it was said that thousands of miles of the beach and the surrounding areas were covered and tons of man hours were spent, but no arrests were made. Um, there were suspects. They believe that they were a group of at least three or four younger males in their 20s who were vacationing and did not actually live in Galveston County. Um, they've gotten a lot of suspects and a lot of leads. These investigators have worked tirelessly and gone all around the country following leads that have ended up drying up, drying up, drying up. There was um, an actual incarcerated man who was a person of interest for this case, and I couldn't find out. Literally, I'll read you a quote in a moment about, oh, actually, it's right here on this page. So Officer Tommy Hansen said, this is by no means a cold case. It never has been. We're coming, and we're coming hard. He said this around 2009. After 2013... I couldn't find any more articles. I couldn't find... Uh, so I believe all of their leads, everything kind of dried up. And what can you do? This is, yeah. I mean, this is something that Hansen. it's affected him so much. He spent all this time looking for it. So I don't believe that in their eyes it's a cold case. But obviously no leads have been broken. No actual arrests have ever been made for this case. Um, there was that weekend, the 13th through the 15th, a trail ride on Bolivar Peninsula. Um, and Officer Hansen said that often those riders, those bikers, were out around midnight after that time. Trevor, I'm thinking horses. Um, like a, you know, it could like be a, horses. I assume bikes because I hate horses. Um, I don't know if that came to much fruition. Um, the vehicle description, it was a, and this is pretty weird to me, that there was able to be such a exact vehicle description. Um, it was a newer model SUV. It was it's a four door, small to mid size. It was dark blue, gray, or black. There was a spare tire mounted on the rear. The center brake there ha- it had a center brake light above the rear window, and the windows were very darkly tinted. So they obviously noticed something was amok, and they took note of the car enough, like or maybe it was so weird that there was a SUV driving around on the beach. And they could not determine, you know, they didn't say that there was this many people in the car. They, they, of course, they didn't even hear what went on. They don't know if Bridget got in the car voluntarily or if, but all of her friends say that she would not have. Um, So, of course, she left behind her two-year-old daughter, Kira. Um, Yeah, so this happened 10 years ago, so her daughter is about 12 now. Um, She lives with her dad. Um, She said in an interview that I did not watch because I could not um but I did read what she said you know she said that she loved her mommy very much and she misses her every day and she's not why sure why someone would decide to take her mommy away from her the fact that she was 
like less than a hundred yards away from the beach house she was sharing with friends and mm-hmm. she was snatched up and then within a couple of hours dead and yeah. mutilated on the beach like I think that's why that stuck with me so much just like, the brutality you- of it just so uh, by all accounts this was a really brutal <laughs> act of violence um, and the fact that there been no this is kind of going to the theories and questions hour because like I said yeah. that's it there's not much there there were leads um it's every few years it resurges her parents her family is never i found a facebook memorial page for her that is still being posted on to this month um so yeah it's still unsolved as far as i could find there are no significant leads every lead they've had has run dry so who were these people (laughs) who were these people that were on this beach if you don't know crystal beach is not necessarily a private beach I, I wonder if the police did any sort of checks on the rental houses in the area oh, yeah. the campsites in the area like I'm sure that's where they got their leads from but how can this <laughs> just one brutal murder with an ID on a car mm-hmm. how can that like they must have sped off into the night and drove back to wherever like are they from Houston are, are they from any of the surrounding areas did they travel like Galveston kind of sucks. So, where did you travel from to get to Galveston? Like, were they on drugs? Were they drinking? I just have so many questions, and it sucks that it's been almost four years now since any new articles were put out, any new information was put out. I even tried to look it up on Galveston County's website, and that, nothing happened there. (laughs) Do they know that it was committed there, or do they think that maybe it was committed somewhere else? They think it was committed there. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's risky as fuck. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's not a, <laughs> there is stuff to theorize, of course, about this, because there's always stuff to theorize about, but what I about? mostly just wanted to talk about this because, fuck, man, this little baby was left behind, and she's got no justice. This family, this, uh, by all accounts, sweet woman. Mm-hmm. And then also, I mean, if she's raped for that long, like, there's got to be DNA Oh, yeah. In her bra. You know? and Something. So, th- that just automatically makes you jump to, these guys don't have a record. What else could they be doing? What else was it just a bunch of dumb young kids that were on drugs or drinking and partying and they, it, everything just... It makes One fucked up like... dude, like, kind of took the reins and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously you guys can't see the map, but yeah, it was it's just a very secluded yeah. area of the beach, and yep, that's definitely where I always go beach at. So that's uh, that's the story of Bridget Garrison. Really sad, like, and it sucks that there's no closure to this, and so and that that's why I don't like cases like this. Go to the public beach where yeah. the hotels are right behind you, and which again, my 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 question stands true because it's like if it's a rich ritzy neighborhood, maybe it's just like stupid prick teenagers that are like we can do whatever the fuck we want mom and dad are out of town on vacation let's go rape a girl it could be like ugh yeah gross you want to say like oh I bet they were super fucked up on drugs or alcohol and it's like that absolutely doesn't excuse it of course but it's also it's just a way for you to logically grasp what happened okay so yeah alright do you want to close this episode out yeah 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 so um uh, oh, we thought my mom might have almost been a victim of the Texas killing yes. fields. Turns out, so she, when she was in her 20s, um, which would be in the 70s-ish, I don't want to give out her age, but it's in the 70s. Um, she, yeah, she's a mom. She's, they're obviously older. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, she was kind of hanging out with her friends over the Mexican border. Naturally. Yeah. She used to, she grew up um, of maybe like 20, 30 miles from the Mexican port, border in like McAllen, Texas. So she <laughs> and her friends would go party in clubs in Mexico, cheap drinks, blah, blah, blah. She decided that she was done for the time being. So she went to take a nap in her friend's car. Um, this was really Red before flag. yeah this is the 70s you don't lock your doors I guess um <laughs> her friend also didn't want to lose her keys in the bar or the club that they were in so okay. she left her keys in the car um my mom was sleeping on the floorboard 
So I'm not sure what type of car this was. Um, a big one? It must have been a big one. So she was sleeping on the floorboard. Well, your mom's actually really small, so. Yeah, she, yeah so was, she's yeah, a little, like, hobbit-sized woman. <laughs> um, this man got in the car with what my mom thinks is the intentions of stealing it. Mm. Um, and she wakes up, and they're in the middle of a field. They're in the middle of this desolate area, and she kicks into, she was at this time, she's a black belt now, but she was training in karate at the time. She kicks into overload, like, adrenaline mode, surprises him, overtakes him, kicks his ass out of the car, and she used the little Spanish she knew at the time to ask people where the bridge was, where the bridge was, so she could get back to where her friends were, and she drove back, and she said they all acted like it was no big deal, and she was freaking out. Um, and then she said a little bit after this, um, in the next couple of months, reports started coming out of bodies being found buried in that same general area she was in. So in Mexico, um, wait, are we getting Texas killing fields mixed up with West Mesa body pit? Ooh, we might be because I thought Texas killing fields because I thought league city yeah, was yeah, on yeah. the other side of Houston. So I thought it was closer it's to like, Mexico than it is. No, to it's right before Gulf. Galveston. And I didn't know that. So it's West Mesa. It could be West Mesa. Oh so God. we need to look that up because she also told me that, um, young college age kids were being found. And I was like, yep, Texas killing fields. That, yeah. that fits. But she said some males were found. Oh, I was I like, that's not Texas Killing Fields. Then, it's because not West Mesa Body Pit either. It's all really? sex workers. So I'm not sure what that was, but she said that it freaked the third her out. option. Yeah, right? Oh she God. said it freaked her out because, you know, things were happening. And this is also the same time that the Texas Killing Fields was a thing and was being kind of found out. So even if it was totally different, like all this crazy shit is going on. And my mom kicked this would-be maybe... Uh, rapist, murderer, potential asshole. He might have just killed her once he found her in the car, even if he just wanted to steal the car and had no idea that she was a teeny person inside. Mm -hmm. And us being hungry for, like, true crime, we want it so bad to be an almost, like, Texas Killing Fields. Oh, yeah. But also, like, when you just boil it down, like, my mom's just kind of a badass. Absolutely. (laughs) She's a little ninja. Yeah, and it happened during a time that people were super not... They don't give a shit about going to Mexico and running down the street saying, hey, where's the bridge in Spanish? Yep. Anybody else could have come and been like, hey, it's over here, a.k.a. my house, come mm-hmm. inside. No. Yep, Stephen King. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for listening. We super appreciate it. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And definitely check out all of our social media stuff um, for information on the cases. Oops. We're going to post <laughs> updates, you know, pictures, yeah. just everything. Um, links to our sources will be put in the show notes. And we'll be back next week with some more Texas true crime. And if anyone's listening, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs>